A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And welcome to Secure the Insecure, the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seafoot, and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. My guest this week you'll know as one of the funniest comedians in the country. He co-hosted The Extra Factor. He has a podcast with Busted Matt Willis called When No One's Watching. He's been on Dancing on Ice, well, for one week. He had a brilliant student-style game show on E4. He had a radio show. He's a star of TikTok. And he's now putting that all to good use as he's on the current series of Celebrity Coach Trip on E4 nightly at 8pm every single night. And obviously you can catch up on all four if you've missed any episodes that have already gone out. But besides all that, He's just one of the nicest guys I know. It was in 2016 when I first met him. I was this little new media kid and he was always nice to me. We were passing ships night, but he always made time to say hi. And I'm so delighted that six years long, he's now a friend of mine and I can bring him to the podcast. Hello, comedian Matt Richardson. You just reminded me of those halcyon days of uh, when Virgin and talk radio and all those first started. And we were in that absolutely minging building <laughs> where all the studios were that's where we used to pass in the night it was it was different times now you're in your swish big offices that's obviously now but look let's go back to the beginning because i wanted to spend a bit of time with you to get to know you a little bit more obviously i know your media career i would say extra factors where you first came to my eye so i want to go back to the beginning because i'm always interested yeah. especially with comedians because it takes a lot to be a comedian. It takes a lot to be funny. It takes a lot, obviously, to sell out a tour. So let's go all the way back to the beginning in the early 90s in Didcot. Talk to me about your childhood, Matt. Well, you know what? So I had a very lovely childhood. Like, I would have the most boring autobiography ever because I had a very nice, very middle-class, supportive childhood. I was very, I was quite academic. I was good at school. I enjoyed school. So, and I was told I could do whatever I wanted. So, you know, when I was... 18 and i said i want to start doing stand-up comedy in the evening to my parents they were like yeah go for it that's great it feels like a cop-out almost because it was all so lovely and easy and happy because <laughs> i've always thought people use comedy as a form of catharsis to get away from what's really going on or to make light of what's going on but for you it wasn't that then 
No, so look, stand-up comedians are a really fascinating breed of performer compared to actors and other things. Because like actors, you know, there's a lot of like wanting to hide behind a character and things. Whereas comics talk about embarrassing things and awful things that happen to them, you know. But it's more the thing I think that attracted me to comedy is it's kind of this weird mix of being insecure enough that you need people to laugh at you and love you, but having a big enough ego that you're willing to charge them for the pleasure. Do you know what? That's the best way I've ever heard it put. And it makes yeah, so much it's sense. A, it's such a weird balance because you, you, we, we, we're all insecure comedians because if you're insecure in yourself, you don't need a room full of strangers to love you. And that is essentially what you're trying to get them to do. But you've got to be cocky enough that you've got to get, you get up on stage and charge to do it. So do you feel validated at the end of a show when everyone's laughed and they've taken a picture? Do you, is that where you go, I'm validated, I'm funny, I'm accepted in society? That's a really good question. No, because there's always something else. I, as a comedian, and I think a lot of comics, are very self-critical on... So like, I'll do a show and like say someone I know will be there and they'll be like, oh my God, that was amazing, I really enjoyed that. And I'll go, well, no, that went wrong and that bit didn't quite work how I wanted it to be. And then you just pick it apart. So I would say that the buzz off stage, when you get off stage, huge buzz, and it lasts about three minutes before you then start to pull apart what could have been better. And obviously you're doing, if you're doing a tour, a 50-date tour, let's say, you'll be going through those days. So when you're doing it wrong on show four, does that actually help you to go, right, okay, that went wrong because I know show five will be even better now, or is it a hindrance to your mental health to go, why am I not performing? Why am I not at the top of my game? Like, the, t- the rest of the tour is going to be awful now. Well, you know what? So um, at the moment, uh, I'm not on tour at the moment. I'm in the clubs, so I'm doing seven gigs a week, eight gigs a week, really. So, like, t- I'm, I did two last night. I'm doing two tonight. And it, it does, if you have a bad gig, it does affect the next one but you do learn from them as well i would say um there's a really good rule in comedy and it's called millikan's law uh, because sarah millikan came up with it and it is um, no matter if the gig is brilliant or awful you could only mope about it or celebrate it till 11 a.m the next day and then you have to move on i like that why 11 I don't know. I think that's just mostly when comedians wake up because we work nights. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Easy question, easy answer. Absolutely. So, and mentally, obviously you've just spoken about a bit about the security side there. How has your mental health been growing up? Uh, you know, so I have OCD. Um, so I've, I've been on medication on and off for 10 years for obsessive compulsive disorder. And, you know, not one of these people who's like, oh, I'm so OCD because I let my plates in order. Like, it, it's been a crippling thing with, like, you know, obsessive, ruminating thoughts about, like, not very nice things. And what's the difficult thing with, if you are struggling with your mental health in comedy, is you spend a lot of time alone. So when you're gigging and things, it's you in the car by yourself driving up and down the country. So if you're not in a good place mentally, and then you know you're going to have to sit alone by yourself for eight hours in a metal box, that can be really difficult. And there were times where... I've had to pull gigs because my mental health wasn't good enough to sit in a car by myself. I find it really interesting because I last year for the first time went to the theatre alone and it was a big thing because no one wanted to go with me and I felt really rejected by the whole world. And I was like, 
Well, I yeah. really want to see the show, but I don't know what to do because I can't go alone. And I went and I thought, this is the best experience ever. But you're right. I can do this. It's for me. And like you said, in the car, you going in the car, you've got no one around you to support you, that you're on your way. And then you go, right, okay, I'm going to a venue. I don't know anyone there. Okay, they're there for me, but who am I to them? And it's that relationship yeah. of you to the audience that is supposed to be like, they're your best friend and you're their best friend. And yet you don't know each other. And you're going to both leave at the end of the night. Still none the wiser. It's, look, the thing with comedy is, is there is a bit on stage, if you're on tour, for an hour and an hour and a half, where you are in your element, but you're not taught, like, it's not a conversation. It's a, it, you know, it's, it's a one-way thing, like, and it's really fun, and I, it, being on stage is the best thing ever, but you travel to the venue alone, you get there about six o'clock, the show starts at eight, you sit in a dressing room by yourself for two hours, killing time, you maybe go and have dinner by yourself, you do the show to everyone, and then you get back in a car by yourself and drive home, and by the time you get home, everyone you know is asleep because you get home at three in the morning. So I would say the big thing in comedy that causes problems with mental health is it's a really lonely job. If you're in a band or if you're, on t- you're making a TV show, there's loads of you. It's brilliant. But comedy, doing stand-up, is um, a very lonely pursuit, and I struggle with that sometimes. But what's interesting for you, Matt, is that you started quite young. You know, Oxford Booked University is where you did your first stand-up show. You are 22 years old yeah. when you went on your first tour. That's young. You know, how, had yeah. you matured at that point yet? Because to put that and mental health, which obviously at the time wasn't spoken about, that's a lot of pressure on you to live your life quite isolated yeah you know what so i started stand-up when i was 18 and then uh so i went to my first one at 22 i was, did the extra factor at 22 so i went from first gig to extra factor that was four years um and then that was really difficult because i was i mean i was a 22 year old and all of a sudden this was kind of at the peak of twitter and at the peak of x factor really and i was getting 15,000 tweets a night half of which were saying they absolutely hated me and I was the worst person on earth, you know. And I think, you know, as a 30-year-old as a now, I don't care what people say about me on the internet. I've got a cool job. I, I'm doing something that they're jealous of. But back then, it was absolutely... It destroyed me. I found it really, really difficult. And I can see why so many teenagers and things struggle with Instagram and online bullying and all those things. Because, I mean, I've, I've lived it to the extreme, really. Well, you did Extra Factor in 2011, and for those... That, 13, sorry, 2013. Yes, 13. So to put it into perspective, it was Ollie Murs and Caroline Flack had hosted the series before you, and it was always that, yeah. will they, won't they? You know, they'd come out on stage, and it'd be a lot of flirtatious. Ollie Murs then left, you came in, yep. Caroline stayed, so it was you and Caroline, and then this was the Extra Factor, this was the future, you and Caroline yeah. as the stars of ITV2. That's a lot of pressure, again, you being young yeah. to do that. Well, but you know what? At the same time, like, I, I think when you're young, you just kind of go, OK, yeah, fine, whatever, I'll do that. Like, the, uh, you know, the fact I started stand-up at 18, like, I look back now and I think I used to play the really rough comedy clubs like the Jonglers and Up the Creek. When I was 19, I was playing to, like, 400 people on Stagdoos and Hendoos who were absolutely hammered. And, like, it didn't faze me in the slightest. But I look back at it now and I think, oh, my God, like... How how did I do it? But I guess when you're that age, you don't really think about it, do you? You're just so full of sort of, um, you know, chutzpah that you just go for it. Oh, look at the little Jewish of you coming out, Matt. Look at the little bit of Jewish of you coming out. <laughs> Where were you at mentally then? So if you look back now, because obviously we're celebrating as well a decade of you working in the industry. 
where do you think was that moment that you matured and do you have any regrets of anything that you've done of i was just young i was naive i didn't understand the industry it seems that you were propelled really into it and it wasn't through being on reality tv and being on love island and getting a job after that it was literally you being bought for your craft because you'd earned it yeah there's a couple of things i regret i think the problem with comedy is, um, and comedians in general is, comedians are snobby when it comes to everything else. So look, comics want to be on Live at the Apollo, Radio 4, Mock the Week, and all that. And all of a sudden, I was getting offered things like The Extra Factor. or And there was a point where I was offered a job on This Morning many moons ago. Like eight, when I was doing Extra Factor, they asked me, they were interested in me to go and work on This Morning doing stuff. And I said, I don't want to do that because like, I'm like a proper comedian. And I'm like a serious stand-up comedian who takes that seriously. And that was stupid. I should have just taken the job. And I think as I've gotten older and into the industry, there's lots of things that I would have turned my nose up at that I now say yes to because I'm like, it'll be fun, I'll get paid, and it'll expose me to some people who will hopefully then buy tickets to see me. So I think what's happened is I've, I've, I've gotten less bothered about the approval of my peers and what they want me to be or expect me to want to be. Was there a spectrum of comedian then? So obviously, as you said, you didn't want to do this morning, but is there a place that you think, right, this is where I'm at in the comedian atmosphere for TV, for having a book out, for being on tour? Yeah, you know what? So I kind of settled into a really nice... So basically, look, I, I don't do... When I tour, I don't do big venues. I'm doing like 150 theatres, like little kind of studio theatres and stuff. And I don't tour that often. I would do one every three years or something. Um, and I'm happy to do that. But in the comedy clubs, I'm like a, a, a headliner. So I go into the clubs. I headline the clubs. People might know me from telly. But my comedy and my TV career are quite separate things, you know. I do lots of kind of smaller, weirder TV shows, which I really enjoy. Like, I was talking to someone the other day. A friend of mine has just done Live at the Apollo. And they were like, man, you... I was like, oh, I'd love to do Apollo. And they went, oh, but you do all the cool stuff. Like, I do the Red Bull Soapbox race. I've done ghost hunting shows. I've done all sorts of mad stuff. And it's fun, and it keeps it interesting. Like, year, two years ago, I'd have turned my nose up at Coach Trip. But now, I'm like, yeah, it'll be a laugh. Let's do it. So where does that lead you to, then? Because if you've got a different trajectory to everyone else, and you've got different goals, what is the goal for you, Matt? You know what? I think I used to really obsess over this uh, and it used to cause me a lot of stress of what, what's, what's going to happen for me? Am I going to carry on being on telly? Because, look, the brutal reality is, is there are lots of people who are on telly for a while and then just don't be on telly anymore. Like, that is a reality for a lot of people and who are on the radio and aren't anymore. Like, and I think um, I'm cool if that happens to me. I'm cool with that. I've had eight years on the telly or nine years on the telly. I've had 12 years of stand-up. If it all ended tomorrow, I'm happy. And I don't have a plan. As long as I'm working and I'm still enjoying it, that's what's more important to me now. So that's the professional side of you, Matt. What about the personal side? How has it impacted you? The fact that you've been on isolated car journeys quite a lot, the fact that you're always away from home, the fact that you know your media career is growing and growing and growing, and you're performing, and then I'm sure, if you're like me, that performance ends up going from being on stage to eking into your personal life because it's just what you know. Yeah, well, you know what, actually? I think the longer I've done it, the less that's happened. When I was well, when I was at school, I was basically always showing off and doing... If I did, basically, The way I describe this is, if I wasn't a stand-up, I would be that person in the office 
who goes, gosh, be a bloody stand up me, and would annoy the hell out of everybody. So actually, like, because I've got an outlet, it makes me much easier in my normal life because I do it on stage, so then I can be more chilled out. So I think, I, I wouldn't say that's the way, but in my personal life, look, being away from home a lot, I don't mind. I like the travel. Um, and also, I have a girlfriend who has a job in the media as well. She's a model. So both of our lives kind of are similar. Like, she's away a lot, I'm away a lot, so we both understand it. But does that work, then? Is that a working relationship? It totally works, yeah. But you know what? I... I respect anyone who has a normal nine to five and is married to a comedian because. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You just have to accept that they're never going to be around at the weekend. They're going to miss every wedding, everything else, because we work evenings and weekends and we're in Edinburgh every year in August. So if you've got a normal job, that'd be really difficult to be around. But because we've both got these weird, flexible jobs, it also means we spend a lot of time together because... Sab will work, you know, do a job a week or something. I'm around in the day all the time. So, you know, like tonight, I don't leave the house until nine o'clock tonight. So we've had a whole day together. Like, you know, it's, it's a really, it is actually a job that gives you lots of free time as well as, you know, being away a lot. It's quite good to hear it like that because there's these type of positives that are just never spoken about. You know, it's always well, we're a freelancer and we have to gig and, you know, it's hard as well. But actually, there are some positives with it as well. There's this real kind of, like, thing I hate, which is that, like, I call it grind porn, right? Which is where everyone is constantly talking about the grind. You know, I'm up, I'm doing eight different things, I've got this on the go, I've got that on the go, I've got that on the go. And it makes you think, oh, God, I should be doing more. Everyone's doing so much. But actually... Like, look, you're like me. We got into these kind of jobs 
because you like them, right? Why bother with the grind? And also, one of the luxuries of comedy is I get my days. I don't want to fill it with writing scripts that are never going to get made. No, exactly. You'd rather watch Loose Women. I'd rather watch Loose Women. Absolutely I would. <laughs> Especially because now I know Linda Robson and uh, how inappropriate she is in all of her life. I'm not surprised when she swears. <laughs> well, look, you've, you've seamlessly led us on because obviously as a radio presenter, as a TV presenter, you know how to move conversations. So you've moved on very nicely to Celebrity Coach Trip. It's on E4 and you can catch up on all four now. It's weeknights, 8pm. I'm absolutely <coughs> loving this series. Proper diversity of guests in terms of the celeb landscape. You've got people from Georgie Shaw. You've got people like yourself and Will Burst. You've got Linda Robson. You've got Honey G, Paul Danan. It's a really varied lineup. How did you find that experience, my friend? So I found it really stressful. Um, it, I'd never done anything like it before, neither had Will. Um, and obviously there were a lot of what I would say are reality TV pros, you know, like the Geordies, Letitia from the Valleys, Paul Zaman, Ashley, uh, the Olympia, who'd been on X on the Beach and had been in Celebrity Big Brother. And they kind of knew how it worked and they really you know, got into it and cared almost about, like, the, Will and I just went, if people vote for us, they vote for us, great. If we go out after three days, we get paid the same, who cares? But people are, like, looking at it as, like, a career step and things like that, which we weren't. So that was quite stressful, that everyone was kind of, like, tussling for the vote and getting upset about things. But as an overall experience, it was kind of, like, quite nice because I'm not a, a reality star. We basically saw it as, like, we had a little holiday where we got to pretend to be reality stars <laughs> and just sort of got involved in the drama. Then we left and went, oh, that was mad, wasn't it? Well, there's a really weird line there, isn't there? Because reality stars are looking for more TV exposure to TV, TV presenters. You know, if you think about people like Kem and Chris from Love Island, people like Vicky Patterson, Toff from Made in Chelsea... The, those are reality stars who started in pure reality and have ended up with presenting backgrounds. You've gone the other way, having a presenting background, going into reality, whether it's dancing on ice or coach trip. So where's that invisible line in the middle of pure reality stars and then household entertainment names coming together for a reality show? Did you learn anything from the reality stars and vice versa in how to, I suppose, put yourself to the camera? Because at the end of the day, you want the airtime. Look, you do, and I think um, I didn't learn anything. I don't think from them, but they were much more keen. Whereas Will and I were conflict averse on it. So, like you know, something would happen, and we'd be, that would say someone would say something not very nice about us, and rather than go after it, Will and I just go, well, let's just leave it because we don't want an argument. Whereas I think the reality star sides go, the argument is the bit they want. So they're thinking like that, whereas we were just kind of going, oh, let's just be as nice and polite to everyone as possible. And we didn't really think about screen time. Like, in our, we, we've been really lucky on the show. We've got loads of screen time. I think mostly because we make jokes quite a lot. So if things have gone a bit tense, they just cut to an interview of us making a silly joke about it. Well, I loved your argument you had of Honey G. For those that don't know, you have to check out Matt's TikTok <laughs> channel because it is brilliant. Can you just take us frame by frame about that argument? Because it's just incredible. So Honey G gets on the coach and um, does an in inverted commas a rap uh, to welcome us all to her, her arrival on the coach. And she is with Letitia from the Valleys, who <laughs> we didn't get on on the coach. Post-coach, we're, we're thick as thieves. 
but that's that's another story. So then the vote happens. So you know, at the end of the vote, every coach trip, the vote happens, and we're all stood around. And Will and I have been with Honey G and Letitia for most of the day. We we've gone even in an interview they showed we've gone. God, we've really gotten on with them. They're lovely. Like I think we I think we've really connected to them. And then Letitia and Honey G vote for us. And up to this point, the votes have been very nicey nicey. So everyone's gone, we're voting for you because we've not seen much of you today. Or, oh, you know, uh, we've just got to vote for someone and we don't want to vote for them because they've already got a yellow card. It was all very, like, nice and polite. Letitia comes in and she goes, Will and you are really annoying. You've given me a headache. I find you unbearable. And Will and I are like, okay, this is new. And then Honey G goes, yeah, the thing is, you know, I just think you're you're quite overwhelming. Like, you're always, like, putting on this character and a bit of a facade. And I said, thank you for telling me that I'm putting on a facade, honey G. What and more she, can you she didn't, she didn't like it. She was really upset about it. And I went, but you said it in front of everyone to me, so why, why should you be treated any different? But the problem is with honey G is she sees herself as honey G. Well, the problem is, is yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't know it's a joke. She's not in on the joke of Honey G. She is bought into the hype that she is a rapper, but she can't. I mean, she rap, she she doesn't know anything about rap music. We try, Will's really into hip hop. Didn't know anything about hip hop. Couldn't talk about music. It's very strange. Because there was a day where we kind of the first day she came on. Look, I've worked on X Factor. I've met novelty acts. A lot of them know exactly what they're doing, I think. You know, there's a bit of a wink and a nudge. Oh, yeah, we know that we're the silly ones, but we're here to make a few quid, right? So there was a conversation with Honey G where that was sort of implied, and she got really upset and went, no, I'm a genuine hip-hop artist. And we're like, okay, cool. Okay, cool. Lovely. This is awkward. (laughs) (laughs) This is awkward because because you're not... (laughs) This is the problem with reality TV is that you're thrusted into the limelight and because everyone wants you in that moment, you think it's there for life. Whereas, you know, as a comedian, you've had to work it. You know, you didn't get to where yeah. you were. You didn't get to the X Factor without going to Edinburgh Fringe. You didn't get to Edinburgh Fringe without being at uh, Oxford Books University doing the small gigs at the Student Union. You know, you've got to work it. Whereas if you've gone, you can't get that. The, the thing is, like, my career has ebbed and flowed. There's been times where my profile's been bigger and smaller and things like that, right, which happens in everyone's career, unless you're Ant and Deck. And, but I can still go and gig in the clubs. I can still go and do comedy. But if you're Honey G, you're almost too famous to go back to work. But what can you do for work? Because you're not releasing music that people are buying. It's a really interesting thing. And also, I will say, having worked on X Factor... All of the contestants turn into monsters as soon as it gets to the live shows. Because they're building their own hype because of the makeup yeah. and the hair and the dresses and the music choices. Absolutely. But also, they're being told they're going to be massive. Like, it's not their fault. Like, everyone on the show is like, oh, my God, you know. It's, and it's a big deal. Like, and the production, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to it over the years, but it's a massive production. It is, like, huge, as big as telly could be, really. So you buy into the hype. And then, you know, you go out week two and you do a few club gigs and then that's it. And you've kind of become this diva, but you've got to go back to reality. Yeah, and it's also a very weird thing as well with a show like The X Factor that had big ratings back in the day. If you think like Shane Ward's uh, That's My Goal, that single got something like 740,000 downloads. 
to you know at the end of Raxa and the ones after it who didn't get more than like fifty to hundred thousand. I don't know, I'm making any thumbs up, but uh, yeah, yeah. you know the ratings were amazing for the Xbox at the beginning, but then Strictly just started edging it and just started getting bigger and bigger. So yes, you've gone on the X Factor stage. Yes, that might have always been your dream, but the ratings and the viewers aren't there, and so yeah, your place exactly. is an empty room. I think, look, I, I really loved working on that show and doing the extract. It was so much fun. And I think as a format, it's brilliant. It was kind of game-changing television. However, I think we just did, we're hit, we've hit a new point now where people want cosy, people want bake-off. People want cosy, nice telly where everyone's quite nice to each other. I think the X Factor was sort of a victim of... You know, like the six, I was there the first year of the six chair challenge, which was one of the most brutal things of all time. And pointless. And people loved that for a while. It was like, you know, gladiatorial. But these days, you look at the shows that are big the repair shop, the great pottery throwdown, great British sewing bee. They're all cozy, nice shows where people are lovely to each other. I think that's after, you know, politics has gone mad, um, you know, Brexit's gone mad and made everyone upset at each other. So, I think people are looking for a nice, cosy bit of escapism. I agree to an extent. Obviously, that's why Love Island did well, because we believed in the couples and you've got spin-offs like Too Hot to Handle now. But I think there's still a massive void of not having Big Brother. You know, a clip came out the other day to mark maybe five years since that big incident with Tiffany and David Guest being dead at the time of David's dead. <laughs> David's dead. Yeah. Hilarious. And I'm like, yeah, I miss that. I miss that raw TV like Subcoach Strip, which is why it works really well. People you kind of know, people you don't know, and then just seeing everyone really get on or just hate each other and being on either side of a team. Look, I think it will all come back round again. I think Big Brother will be back at some point one day. I think... I think those kind of shows will have their time in the sun. But everything's cyclical, you know. It's, we're just in a different phase of television at the moment. Oh, 100%. And obviously, we know that there's a lot of other factors. You know, getting TV out of London is the biggest thing at the moment. To so forget even what genre, it's just get TV out of London. Whatever it is, do it. Oh, my God, yeah. Totally. And, that, and, and diversity. And, and that is right. TV's been too white and too London-centric for too long. And that is what, you know, is changing slowly, but it is happening, you know, and I think it, it's a good thing. Like, you know, I've just watched um, Stay Close, you know, the Harlan Coben thing Amazing. on Netflix. That's all made up, up in Manchester, and it's made, like, to the quality of a, of a Hollywood drama, you know. Like, you don't need to make telly in London for it to be excellent. No, I completely agree, but putting that aside as a london presenter that you are how do you feel about that are you worried am i going to get other jobs because it needs to be diverse politically it needs to be diverse in terms of identity it needs to be diverse in terms of location and yet you're a straight white hey. comedian and living in london hey well i'm i'm just leaving london so well there's the answer maybe subconsciously that's why i've done it but we we've, we've sold up and we're we're moving out to the sticks so, um, yeah, so maybe that, that might, you know what, though, I, I joke, I joke not. I had a meeting the other day and we're currently in the process of moving and they went, I'm saying you've moved because that will help that you don't live in London. And look what that means for you getting a job now. That is actually a factor. Yeah, how mad, how mad, eh? Where, you know, it, I, the reason I moved to London was because everyone, everything was here and you needed to, like, you kind of needed to live here to do it and it'd be convenient. 
if it makes telly better and it makes it more joyous, it's just going back to the old model. Do you remember all TV was local for years, wasn't it? Like, didn't, didn't they used to make Trisha in Norwich? Norwich, yeah. And then we got the old Pebble Mill. I mean, both of us are 30, so I don't know why we're doing this conversation because neither of us actually remember it. But then you had the Pebble Mill Studios in Birmingham. Yeah. Bristol, they used, to, they used to make loads. Well, I mean, Countdown. All that's out in Bristol. Countdown. Countdown's up north. Um, you know, I mean, the problem is, though, is... Um, it's just becoming London and Manchester rather than like spreading it out. That's what they need to do a little bit more of. I'm talking of moving, where are you at in life now, Matt? Well, where am I in life? So I am very settled down. I've been with my partner for, we've been together seven years. You know, we've got a cat. We're leaving a flat to move into a kind of bigger house and sort of starting to look at that kind of thing. And also, you know, I, I, I know that this, career is transient and i think we're now looking to set up a little business together on the side of what we do just in case it all falls apart and you know showbiz isn't forever matt richardson has been amazing thank you so much for catching up with me i love speaking to you Mate, it's absolutely lovely. Drop me a text and we'll meet up and have a coffee or a beer or something. That'd be really delightful. Now that's on record, everyone knows that's going to happen. You've not just made one of your celebrity empty promises like every other celebrity does. Absolutely not. Absolutely not, mate. I I have a lot of time. Like I said, I have a lot of free time with my job and I like to fill it. So let's go and do something. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Matt Richardson, you can see him on Celebrity Coach Trip with Will Best, his best mate, every day on E4 at 8pm and catch up on all the episodes on All4. Now, you've been listening to Security and Security with me, Johnny Seifert. If you've liked what you heard, please do go and rate the podcast, subscribe, leave a review and tell a friend. It's really important that we help to spread the word. It's okay to not be okay. Don't forget, I'm also on Instagram at Security and Security Podcast at Johnny Seifert. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.